You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Okay, let's get started. So um, we have the joy this morning of Pascal speaking. Um, Pascal is, how do I describe Pascal? She oversees so many things in the life of the church and also carries significant weight on behalf of Paul and I and kind of alongside her, alongside us. And um, I don't know what we do without her, really. So um, that's Pascal. That's one of many wonderful things about her. And um, we're really looking forward to what she's got to share with us. So I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have been with... Pascal, as she's been preparing to speak, thank you that you've been stirring things in her heart, that you've been bringing inspiration to her mind, that as she's penned things, she has been faithful to your stirrings. And so, Lord, I pray that as she pours out, she will be blessed. I pray that you anoint her words that you add power to her words in a way that only you can do. I pray that truth will pierce straight to the hearts of those sitting in this room. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak to each of us uniquely and in the ways that we need to hear you through this message. I thank you for her. I thank you that she is a servant of you, Jesus. And I pray that you will pour out your blessing upon her as she pours out herself onto us this morning. Amen. Thank you. That was nice. Um, Good morning. As Steph said, my name is Pascal. I'm married to Lee, who's at the back not listening to me because he's got some headphones on and some techie things happening. Um, And we have our little boy, James, who keeps us on our toes, but he's such a delight. Um, And a few months ago, we had gone to the Call to Live For conference in Nottingham, um, one of the vineyard conferences. We'd had an amazing time worshipping and, you know, pressing in, um, and also a really busy time work-wise. So we were absolutely spent by the end of it. We arrived back, came up onto the the driveway around 8pm, past James's bedtime, and we were hoping for a quick um, car seat to cot transition. Very smooth, we'd be able to get an early night. We pulled up, got into the door, and it is freezing. It's 10 degrees, the boiler's gone. Um, And so Lee is desperately trying to resurrect the boiler. I am trying to keep Pepper, our little dog, and James warm and happy while trying not to cry too much. Um, And texting, I thought, well, someone earlier in our small group WhatsApp had asked for some prayer, so I'll just text out and can't hurt. And I was blown away by the offers of help and support that we had. People offered um, to bring around heaters, give us extra showers. Um, I lost my words. <laughs> People offered to have us round to have, you know, give us a place to stay, which is quite a big offer considering that we've got a dog and a very mobile toddler. It was amazing. And eventually, Lee um, managed to resurrect the boiler, you'll be pleased to know. He'd laid hands on it and prayed. Not, not sure that's the um, standard approach, but there you go. And we managed to get to sleep. And then the next evening, Lee is bathing James. We're hosting the Putting Some Purpose evening at our house. So I am rushing around trying to you know, clean everything and tidy, tidy up. 
Um, and James has toddled to the bathroom door and he's fallen back on the towel rail and he's got a bit of a burn. Not super bad, but needs to be checked out. And because of where it is, like on his shoulder, both of us have to go. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to kind of do, tag team this. Um, and again, a few t quick texts out and someone comes around with burn gel and um, cling film rapidly. Someone else comes around and they're hoovering and turning away our dirty dinner pans. And it was, am it was amazing really. And we, we, spend our time in A&E and we come back and when we come back it's to a room full of just encouragement and prayers and pudding which was wonderful and then a few days later it turns out that James is caught hand foot and mouth from hospital and he is not sleeping he's got um he's sleeping for about 20 minutes at a time for four days straight and we are absolutely exhausted and I was Lee's pretty steady but I was really grumpy and without any hesitation, people offered to cover our roles on Sunday teams. They offered to bring around meals, to look after James, to walk Pepper. And then others still were praying for us and speaking into some of the negativity and self-pity that I was definitely feeling. Brothers and sisters kind of buoying me up and, and discipling me through that week. And I don't share all of that to get sympathy points. While I do believe everything is spiritual and the enemy does always work to try and um, discourage and steal from us, especially in times of spiritual growth that we were experiencing in that time, equally, all of that is just life stuff. Boilers break down when it's cold. Children have accidents and they catch viruses. And we weren't the only ones to experience those things, even in that week. Nor do I share it to exacerbate any feelings that any of you might be having of well people wouldn't do that for me because in all honesty people wouldn't usually do that for me that's what I'd be feeling usually when people share these stories of generosity from from the front I share it all because the way that we were loved and supported wasn't because we earned it or because we were in any way special it's just because we're part of a church and that is what true church does it meets needs, it rallies, it loves, it shapes. I truly experience Acts 2 church. And that's not always been my experience. Church isn't always what it should be. But when we all move from being a spectator to a participant, a consumer to a producer, a closed hand to an open fist, we can all see and taste and experience and be a part of the fullness of what church is and should be. So it got me thinking about the early church, Acts 2. And when we read about the early church, we're given a wonderful insight into the beauty of being church. Reading from Acts 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miracles and miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." I've know, I know I've heard it said before that church isn't just a Sunday thing, but these guys were super keen. 
They'd experienced Pentecost, an incredible experience of the Holy Spirit, an incredible revelation of who God is, what Jesus has done, the freedom that they had. And so part of that response, the way that that reality plays out in their day-to-day life, is that they met together day after day. They met at the temple, and then they also met in each other's homes regularly, and then they also met to share out their stuff. They ate together, they worshipped, they met again and again. They met a lot, and they were remarkably committed to it. According to the last UK census, only 2% of people identifying as Christians attended a church gathering on an average week. 2%. Thankfully, here at Manchester Vineyard, we are thriving in comparison. That figure is so much higher between our Sunday gatherings and our small groups. And obviously, numbers don't give a full picture. I know that there's been weeks where I've, for whatever reason, not been able to make it or I've worshipped and, and done church in a different way. So bums on seats isn't an isolated measure of spiritual or communal health. But as you'll have gathered from what Paul and Steph were sharing just before the break, to be part of church is to be involved. And it's by being part of that community that we grow in faith. A guy called Elia Somlin, a political law expert, argues that when a voter casts a ballot, the choice doesn't really affect their life. They tick a box and they carry on to live their lives the same, regardless of the results. When someone votes with their feet, however, in his case, if you move town or city to be a part of the the thing that you want to be a part of, um, but also if you join a different club, or you shop at a different store, or you join a different group of friends, there's a good chance that there will be tangible changes, and that fruit comes from that vote, from voting with your feet. I could fill out a hello card or download our MV app and get a load of invitations and information about the church. But unless I vote with my feet by gathering with the church, becoming an active part of it, my life won't be impacted much by it. And I could miss out on all the edification and encouragement that my faith regularly needs. The early church committed to gathering worshipping in the temple every day, sharing food in their homes regularly, meeting together to understand who was in need and distribute what they had accordingly. Every day, on top of their jobs, on top of their family lives, on top of their to-do lists. So when we look at the early church and what we could learn from them, that is our starting point. They met and gathered and feasted and joined together regularly, often, probably even when they didn't fancy it because it isn't just meeting for the sake of it. Paul writes in Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We grow in faith and hold fast to it by spurring one another on and emboldening and edifying and encouraging one another. Meeting regularly is a practical and proactive tool for spiritual health and maturity. It's not about obligation or peer pressure or whatever the vineyard version of Catholic guilt is. It comes from a shared experience of Jesus and what he has for us. And if we want to grow spiritually and be fully alive in him, gathering together is the starting point. So this well-known passage in Acts is a really rich portrait of what that gathering looks like. And there's four main aspects, especially as I look into 2023, that I I was struck by and I wanted to share with you this morning. So firstly, they received alongside one another. 
Second, they discipled one another. Third, they gave to one another. And fourth, they looked beyond one another. So first, they received alongside one another. We'll read it a bit more later, but preceding this passage, the early believers witnessed the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit and hear one of the apostles, Peter, testify that what they'd seen and experienced is proof of who Jesus is and what God is doing. They're so impacted by this truth that they turn away completely from their old lives towards God. They receive Jesus' forgiveness of sins, his redemption, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is from this place that they commit to being church. They first received together. They witnessed what God was doing and opened themselves up to be impacted by it, not just at the beginning, but regularly as they met. It says the apostles performed miracles and the believers were in awe. They sought to be in God's presence together, worshipping, remembering him through the Lord's Supper, praising God, praying. They had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence with them, which would guide and heal and encourage and restore every day. The Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing God's goodness to come and an assurance of Jesus' presence within us now. And if you've been to Manchester Vineyard before, you'll know that often our prayer is just a simple one. It's just come Holy Spirit. And it's because we're learning and regularly seeing that first and foremost, we need the presence of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us in order to do anything. When we pray come Holy Spirit, we are with open hearts, inviting God's manifest presence to do what he wants to do with us in our gatherings. And that would look different for each of us individually, some might experience him physically, others might sense God's presence more emotionally, or others might not feel anything but just know in their knower that God is, God is here. There are so many varied ways of human beings responding to an encounter with God. And I can overthink that sometimes. Um, I can overthink what it means to receive. I stand there and are my hands in the correct position and is someone watching me and are they expecting me to cry or shake or fall? And Please, God, don't make me fall. <laughs> Am I concentrating enough? But as someone helpfully told me recently, the key word is receive. When we were kids at our own birthday party, we just received our gifts. If we were really organised, we might have written a list of what we hoped we'd get and we might give each little parcel a shake and little feel to guess what's inside but ultimately we just stood or sat with open hands and received whatever good thing the giver wanted to give us ultimately whatever that gift looks like in the moment for each of us the key question is do we love Jesus more do we believe him in more in him more are we more committed to him there's always purpose in the presence So what is the fruit? We could spend several weeks probably unpacking the work of the Holy Spirit, and in some days we already do, but I guess the point that I want to make this morning is that we just need the Holy Spirit, and we just need to pray, come Holy Spirit with open hearts and receive what he has for us. Secondly, the believers discipled one another. So reading from verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And then verse 46, they worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. 
If we assume that the way that Jesus trained his disciples was then how they trained and made disciples, it's safe to say that devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching just looks like, more like apprenticeship than a traditional Bible study. In Jesus' day, rabbis would minister while their disciples watched and learned, and then the disciples would minister while the rabbi would correct and instruct. And then once they were a bit more confident, they'd be sent out and do the stuff and report back. Jesus lived the most excellent life. He was living in full faith and hope and love and joy. And he did the stuff of the kingdom. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He shared the truth. He gathered the disciples around him to see that, to see how he was living, to see what God was doing, and to get involved in it themselves. So that in turn, they would be living the life, doing the stuff, and they could then gather people around them to share that as well. John Wimber, one of the founding movement, Avignard movement people, messed that up, once said, this is how Christ trained the 12. They lived with him, soon living like him. Unlike the 12, we cannot live and work with incarnate Christ. Somehow, though, the 12 trained many more like themselves, and they in turn trained those that carried on Christ's works up to today. And similarly, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul implored the church to imitate me as I imitate Christ. We learn from Jesus by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching and living in fellowship with one another, being apprentices together. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but teaching and fellowship are more than just going along to a Bible study and staying for a coffee and a chat at the end. Wimber said, devotion to fellowship does not mean that you show up to all potlucks. Well, that sounds fun. It means being devoted to one another, and therefore your heart breaks when another is not in the place that they should be. It means looking to spiritual mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters as models of Jesus to be shaped by. It means spurring one another on in our relationships with him. It involves, as a, as a community, subordinating what we do and think and see and experience to the scripture and therefore actually reading our Bibles and sharing what we learn with one another. It is cultivating our own formation in Christ through things like worshipping, prayer, meditation, fasting, and then encouraging the spiritual formation in one another through worshipping together, serving together, confessing, celebrating, praying for each other. I know you all know this, but if you're anything like me, I need almost daily reminders to allow myself to be discipled rather than just go through the motions of church. Just as the early church devoted themselves to his teaching and fellowship, we live like Jesus by devoting ourselves to living with him and living with his people, being discipled and discipling others. I'm not sure whether anyone else here gets locked in on games, Candy Crush Sims, the sort of ones that developers profit from making as addictive as possible. I am, it's highly embarrassing to admit so publicly, but I am a right sucker for them and they can take over in a big way. I know I'm not alone from all those little chuckles. <laughs> a couple of months ago in small group, someone confessed to being quite engrossed in one. When I asked them this week if it was okay to share the story, they elaborated. I wasn't hooked, but I was definitely more interested in the game than real life for reasons related to overwhelm and escapism. 
It had only been 24 hours, but it had impacted their working day. It had kept them awake. It had distracted them from the day-to-day -day of family life. In a nutshell, it had got in the way of prioritizing the things that Jesus wants them to prioritize. It had sidetracked them. The person shared all of this at small group. We met them with truth and encouragement. Someone offered to delete the app for them after we all got to marvel at the progress first, which was quite impressive. <laughs> we checked in the next day. It was all really lighthearted, and I'm probably overstating the significance here slightly, but they really naturally stepped into discipleship in that moment. I'm often feeling so stretched as a young mum, and it becomes really easy to use things like mindless games, or online shopping, or social media to feel better about myself, or to give me a bit of respite, when really what I actually need is to be filled with and replenished by the Holy Spirit. And I regularly need fellowship to remind me of that and to disciple me in it. Those are quite frivolous examples, but the principle is the same with so many deeper things. You could replace the word game with anything that is getting in the way of living like Jesus. Gossip, an unhealthy relationship, a bad habit, an addiction. We all have things in our lives that interfere with us living freely and living like him. And we all need the encouragement, support and championing of one another regularly to keep us going. If we're a community seeking to be devoted to his teaching, in fellowship we need to be sharing our lives together and to be contending for, encouraging and supporting one another when we face the inevitable obstacles. It's in fellowship that we are shaped by one another as we encourage each other in devotion to his teaching, worshipping him together and then can access and step into all that God has for us. So my third point, they gave to one another. Verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. During COVID, Paul and Steph invited the church to, into practically doing this for one another by setting up an Act 2 fund in a time of such uncertainty and disconnection and financial lack. And people just gave what they could. And as others had need, the Lowe's and the trustees would work out appropriate provision, sharing from what was held in common. Incredibly, that's just carried on. We're four years after that initial crisis point, And despite the current cost of living crisis, people are still contributing towards being able to respond to each other in that way on top of all the other ways we do this as a church. Just as the early church considered what they had part of the pot, even selling their property and possessions to share it out with those of them that had need. Because ultimately, the revelation that they had at Pentecost changed everything. Their own attempts to save themselves, to provide for themselves, to navigate life by themselves, paled in comparison to the reality of Jesus' offer of redemption, provision, and freedom. When we experience the generosity of God, how generously he gives his spirit, how generously he provides for us, we learn two core truths. First, that we can rely on God's love and care for us. Matthew 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow seed nor reap the harvest nor gather the crops into barns. And yet your heavenly father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth much more than they? And 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. 
And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come in abundance to you so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in him and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. Which brings us to the second truth that he is blessed. God is blessed when we are generous and blesses what we give. Just before that verse in 2 Corinthians, it says this. Now remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously, that blessings may come to others, will also reap generously and be blessed. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. In Malachi 3, um, God talks about withholding tithes and declining to provide for one another. And he says that this is in in effect robbing him. But he says that if we do that, in verse 10, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. We've had some excellent teaching here on generosity previously, so you can find all those talks on the app. I won't labour the point, but where we have experienced the generosity of God, whether that is financial or physical, emotional, spiritual, God asks us to trust him, to trust his generous spirit and his love for us and to be generous with what we've been given. And as we step into the new year with all the surrounding conversations being about the cost of living, I think every journalist is talking about cutting back ways to save money, eat dinner by candlelight or make your packed lunches. It may feel quite counterproductive or counterintuitive, but it really is important to intentionally review our generosity to each other and to the church rather than leave it as an afterthought. Something I found really helpful this year when we were... um, reviewing our finances was to even before we started our spreadsheet prayerfully decide how much what percentage of our income did we want to give and that may seem obvious and of course it's biblical to give of your first fruits but I often find for me it really requires a fair amount of discipline and faith and accountability to actually do it especially when things are tight but God is such a good father who is generous in his love for us, and our generosity blesses him. So how can we not? Which brings me to my fourth and final point. They looked beyond each other. They never just settled for being a cosy club. Verse 47. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That line feels a little bit of a tagline, a tag on and could be overlooked. But that verse is massive. The Lord kept adding to their number daily those that were being saved. The early church was constantly sharing Jesus and inviting others to be a part of it. In fact, the day of Pentecost that precedes this passage depicts it perfectly. So I'll just read through it, Acts Acts 2 verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house they were sitting in. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. 
At that time, there were, devout, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, the list goes on. That, I'm just saying that, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> and all, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I like how that's his point. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Peter then goes on to share all the prophecies of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit being part of the signs and wonders attesting to who Jesus is, that these signs and experiences are God's public endorsement of Jesus' teachings and a confirmation of the truth and eternal significance of Jesus' resurrection. It says that this testimony pierced the crowd's hearts. They were so impacted, they wanted to know how to respond. And the apostles then urged them to repent Turn to God, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. And salvation kept coming. The Lord added to their number daily. It would have been far easier and safer to keep what the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to themselves I have to confess that if that had happened today and, you know, we had a mighty windstorm and everyone had a flame over the, above their head and we were all talking in languages we didn't already know and then half of Ardwick ran into the school, even just the volleyball guys down, down the hall, and asked, what, what is the commotion or accusing us of having a Sunday morning booze up? I don't think I'd find it easy. I'd find it much easier to play it down then actually unpack the theology of what, was hap what is happening and then also follow it up with an altar call to give your lives to Jesus. It can feel safer to us to keep it to ourselves, to stay within our comfort zone, with our familiar faces, nothing needing to change. Safer, but sadder. Because what we have is incredible. We have been forgiven every sin. We've been saved from complete desolation and damnation. And we have been given so much more on top of that. Everyday deep relationship with Jesus, healing, restoration, the joy and blessing of fellowship. If we don't look beyond one another, there's a whole world out there that misses out, that loses in every sense of the word. And the early church understood the urgency of this because they knew what it was like before they knew Jesus. They knew that there is no life without him. We can't just gather here on a Sunday or at small group and keep what we know is secret. We have to invite others in to experience fellowship, to see what God is doing, and to be given the opportunity to have their lives radically changed by him. We may not all have the gifting to stand up and preach to a crowd of 3,000, 
but we all have the ability to share and show him and the impact he's had on our lives. We can invite a friend or colleague to the next Alpha course, or if that feels too big, then bring them along to something a bit more social like footy or kids event or small group. Anything to get a glimpse of what God is doing among us. When our hairdresser asks what we got up to at the weekend, we could share something we saw God do rather than just a list of tasks. When someone who doesn't know Jesus shares that they're in pain, we could offer to pray expectantly for healing. All of these steps take courage and intentionality, but what we have is too important, too valuable not to. As we come into land, if anything I've said so far has left you feeling beaten down or guilty or pressured or patronized, I pray that is lifted off of you right now. That isn't what church is about. Just as the early church, it's about experiencing Jesus and being shaped by him. Paul, our Paul, not the Apostle Paul, often says, he uses the analogy of going into water and he says, if you're standing on the shore of church, just dip your toe in. And if you're ankle deep, wade in up to your knees. And if you're in at your waist, get your shoulders wet. Allow your experience of Jesus, whatever that looks like, to draw you deeper into a place of receiving from his Holy Spirit, of being shaped in fellowship, of giving from what you've been blessed with, and inviting others to join you in the water. I'd really encourage you to take time this morning to reflect what does it look like for you to receive from Jesus what does it look like for you to open yourself up to more fellowship and discipleship what does it look like for you to give wholeheartedly or to look beyond this group of people gathered here what does it look like for you to wade in deeper why don't we stand Paul You were right to clap. Wonderful. Honestly, Pascal, that was, that was wonderful. Um, just, just as we prepare our hearts and soften ourselves just to spend some time resting in the Holy Spirit, I, as Pascal was kind of saying, I, you always want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. There will be people in this room who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, and I just want to give you that moment. So you might just, let's just close our eyes. She talked about some of the guys from volleyball kind of coming down here. Some of you have made your way into this room. And this, this is a moment. And I want to intentionally create that moment for you. It's, it's, it's kind of really simple. It changes the rest of your life. But the, the moment is simple. Just confessing in your heart that you want to follow Jesus. That you acknowledge and you turn from your sin. And you invite him in through the power of the Holy Spirit to be your Lord and your Saviour. I believe there'll be a number of you in the room who will do that now. You will just want to say a simple prayer. Jesus, I need you. I acknowledge and I turn from the ways that have created and prevented and put barriers in place. And now I invite you through the power of the Holy Spirit to come and live in me for the rest of my life and I choose now to follow you and take active steps 
towards you if that is you I, I, there's a little bike I've got here there's, there's a number of them at the, the welcome desk they'd love to give you a little pack to help start you on that journey I'd also encourage you to get involved in Alpha tell somebody that you've made that decision <coughs> For all of us, why don't we just open ourselves up to the Lord. The Spirit of God, we welcome you. Kind of as Pascal was saying, there's no right way to do this we don't have to force anything but you could already see in the room such a hunger and a longing desperation Lord this isn't something we do but we do invite you now come and minister to us There'll be a number of ways that the Lord will have nudged and spoken to many of you this morning. I just had a few senses that I think there was some of you specifically as you as you step into a new year that you're just so burdened by a confusion and some of you are carrying anxiety. I just want to invite you to lay that down. Not that it's something you've chosen. But it's something you've been gripped by to invite the Lord into it in a new way. I want to pray and petition for your freedom and for breakthrough and for hope to come where there's hopelessness. It might seem very specific, but I felt there was somebody here with a uh, just a pain in your in your right hip. Somebody who's got um, it's like between your wrist and your elbow, just a, a pain down the right um, side of that part of your arm. And um, I think a couple of people where sometimes I think the Lord tries to speak very specifically often because he's trying to get your attention over something else. But it, uh, So there'll be a number of other people who are struggling with things physically that, of course, we'd want to minister to and seek healing over. But I felt there's a couple of people who've got pain right in the, the tops of your eardrum. I know that sounds very strange to say. I'm not sure it's even a thing, but it's, I think he's just trying to get your attention with it. Welcome you, Jesus. When I prayed for Pascal before she spoke, and then when she spoke, we both used um, the phrase about um, hearts being pierced. And um, I think there are some of you in the room where you actually feel like some truth has pierced your heart. Um, and my encouragement to you would be not to run from that. I think... It, it could be tempting to think, oh, no, that's hard and that's confronting. But that's what truth does. It pierces our hearts and we are to respond and we are to change. And so for some of you, I think you might be really aware that you need to blow off the cobwebs. You've become stagnant in some way. You've perhaps neglected some area of your life or some area of kingdom living. And the Holy Spirit is just beckoning you again to go again, to give of yourself, to lay it down to lay down your life. 
We serve a very, very faithful, loving, good God. And we can trust him as we lay, lay it all before him again. So, yeah, I, just, I would like to actually invite those of you who feel like something has just grabbed your heart this morning to respond in prayer um, as a kind of an outward sign of, of a longing of an inward change. Someone also had the sense this morning um, that your instinct might be to run to the back right now or to rush and pick up the kids or to get busy with what you're doing, but you need to do the opposite. You need to run towards him this morning. So I just, um, I just invite anyone who just wants more of him this morning, wants more of the spirit, needs more of him to maybe come to the front and the sides so that we can we can see you and we can stand with you in fellowship and and pray for that. Why don't we why don't we do that now while everyone's everyone stood Let's not leave our brothers and sisters waiting for long. If you're in a small group in the life of the church, come and pray. Come and stand alongside one another. The band are just going to play, not to hype anything up, but just to, just to allow us some space. There's no rush. particularly need some guys to come up and pray. I think there are some of you who are kind of toying up whether to come forward. Um, you're kind of right on the fence. Um, and if that's you, I'd love you to, to respond. Respond to the Holy Spirit. It can only be a good thing. So if you're right on the, on the fence, you're like, oh, should I go? Shouldn't I go? I don't know. Just come. Just come. Come to Jesus. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.